Welcome to the Art Stories Podcast. So there I was, standing in front of a group of strangers attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. A minute or two later, Taylor Swift comes out and she like smiles that all-American Nashville smile and she she introduces herself, she shakes my hand. Hey, I'm Taylor. Hey, I'm the groom. We're bringing you true personal stories told in the Southern tradition and recorded in front of a live audience. I caught just enough of the video to see a very large man making this slow walk toward a van, wearing absolutely nothing but his underwear and coated in grease. And I'm going to stop right there, and the rest of it is history. I'm your host, Chris Kinsley. Teamwork makes the dream work, or so they say. The point being that many hands make light work, or none of us is as smart as all of us, or sticks in a bundle are unbreakable, or a single leaf working alone provides no shade, or in union there is strength. Basically, we're better together. Now, this is true in all kinds of ways, both on and off the sports field, but today we're bringing you instances of where our storytellers discovered in some very unique circumstances just how true this is. Both of these stories come from one of our Spotlight events, where we partner with an organization to help them tell their stories. This particular event was hosted with Lifeline Children's Services, and our theme for the night was... Better Together, Stories of Adoption, Fostering, and Orphan Care. This first one is from storyteller Zach Nichols. Thank you very much. Well, stuffed crust pizza is delicious. Am I right? I bet that's not the first thing you thought that I was going to (laughs) say. Stuffed crust pizza is amazing. I would consider it a food group. Um... And my favorite stuffed crust pizza specifically is from Pizza Hut. I think it's the best thing in the world. And one of the reasons why I love stuffed crust pizza is because you know exactly what you're going to get. When you, when you finish off all the, the cheese and the toppings and everything and you get to the crust, you know that when you bite into it, that you're going to bite into a delicious, melted, gooey ring of mozzarella cheese, right? I bet some of you right now are like, that sounds good. I think I want stuffed crust pizza when I go home. Um, it's amazing, and, and I consider it just one of the, the best things ever. If you don't like stuffed crust pizza, we need to talk, because I don't know if our relationship can move forward at all. But um, just keep that in mind as we kind of go forward in this story. But my wife and I, uh, Melinda, we, we knew when we were engaged that adoption was going to be part of our story. It's going to be part of how we built our family. Um, and as we discussed it and prayed about it and all those things, we, we, we came to two conclusions. Uh, these were kind of non-negotiables for us. We knew, one, that we were going to adopt from India. And we knew, two, we were only going to do this through Lifeline. Um, we had a lot of friends who had adopted through Lifeline. Uh, I, we, we knew people who worked with Lifeline. We just knew that, that they were who we wanted to go through. So through this really cool series of events and, and God working through, through this whole situation, we were actually selected to be the pilot family for Lifeline's India program. Uh, it's a really cool thing. It's also a scary thing because everything that we go through for the first time, Lifeline was going through for the first time with India. So we were like, great, we're guinea pigs. It's awesome. This is not a big deal or anything. But 
So we were, we were moving forward in that process. And for any of you who have adopted internationally, um, especially from a country like India, you know that there comes a point in the process where you have to look at this list, um, and the list has special needs on it. And as you look through that list, you see all of these things on this sheet of paper in black and white, just spelled out for you. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to check off these special needs that you feel like you're capable of managing, right? That's a very difficult thing to do. So if you, 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 you look through this, and, and Melinda and I looked down through the list, and we were trying to do it faithfully and responsibly and discuss and pray over these things, it took quite a long time to actually finish this and give it back, right? So we did, and, and, and one of the things that was on there was HIV. And of course, I saw that, and immediately my anxiety um, it just kind of kicked in. I, I, my, my brain was kind of stuck in the past. And what Lifeline does uh, is, is they, they require you to go through education, HIV education, if you're adopting from a place like India where HIV affects so many people. So we went through that education. And I'm really glad that we did. Because when we, when we went through it, on the other end of it, our hearts and our minds completely changed. We went from fear and anxiety to, we're not just going to check this off on the list. I want to advocate for this. I, I want to seek out a child who has HIV because this is manageable. Today, we can handle this. We can manage this, right? So we told Morgan and Meredith, who were, who were helping us through that process, and they matched us with a little girl who had HIV. Her name's Danya. When they matched us, you know, they sent a picture, and we saw her photo for the first time. And for those of you who've gone through the process, you know what happens when you see the photo for the first time. You're like, I'm done. That's my child right there. I love her. I love her. <laughs> right? Like, you just, it, it just takes over your whole body, and you just can't. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And she's always had the most beautiful little face. I mean, she just lit up our hearts. So... We thought, all right, let's go. Let's do this, right? So we go to India. And, uh, man, I, I could go into so much detail about how God moved through that trip while we were there and all the little obstacles that kind of came up. And God was like, nope, that's not going to be an obstacle. And it was just amazing, right? It was incredible. For those of you who have traveled internationally, you know that if you're there for a long time and you're eating food that you're normally not used to, there comes a point where you're like, I've got to have something that reminds me of home. <laughs> um, and I, let me be the first to say that I love Indian food, but there's only so much spicy curry you can eat before you're like, my body does not like me right now. Um, uh, in fact, I ate a tikka masala while I was there in uh, a place called Angol that made me question all of my life choices. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, but so there was one day where we were all kind of, we were in New Delhi and in New Delhi, there are a bunch of American franchises and fast food and all that stuff. And so we were like, can we just get some American food? And Morgan, if any of you know Morgan Church, she said, because I blame her still to, for this to this day, um, but she said, there's a Pizza Hut. Let's go to Pizza Hut. And I was like, I like Pizza Hut. Let's go to Pizza Hut. So we go and I open the menu, and you know what I saw, right? Like, my eyes went straight to it. But you also know that when you're in a place like India, 
the names of the items are in English, but the description is not. Okay? So my eyes went to stuffed crust pizza, and I was like, it's here. Like, I'm going to have stuffed crust pizza. That's it. That's what I want. Bring it here, please, now. And so I got the stuffed crust pizza, and they bring it to my table. And the first thing I noticed, the first little tiny red flag, <laughs> was there was, uh, there's corn on it. In India, they put, they put corn on pizza. And I was like, I ordered pepperoni. And they're like, uh, yes, pepperoni, yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, I mean, I can deal with, I like corn. That's not exactly what I was hoping for, but I like, I like corn. So I start eating it and the pizza is actually not that bad. I mean, I'm getting, I'm like, Hey, this is, this is filling the need that I had for, for stuffed crust pizza. And then I get to the crust. So I bite into the crust. You know, that feeling you get when you're expecting one thing, <laughs> especially when it comes to a taste and it's in your mouth, and then you're like, not, that's, not what, that's not what it was. That's not what it's supposed to be. <laughs> so I bit into it, and it inst- I was totally expecting that beautiful like, commercial moment where you pull the, it away, and there's just cheese. And I, just, I was so ready for that. And I bit into it, and I looked at it. And the only way that I can describe what is inside of a stuffed crust pizza in India is it is a bright orange hot dog that is filled with I don't want to know what sort of mystery meat and then curry. (laughs) Spicy curry. Now, at this point, I have to be vulnerable. (laughs) I have to let you know that I have this thing about me that if I spend money on something... I'm, I'm seeing it through. Like, I'm mad because I'm like, I don't want to waste money. I don't wanna, you know, this pizza costs so little. But I'm like, I don't want to waste those $2 I spent on this pizza. So I go ahead and muscle through it. I finish a piece. I chew the entire thing. I swallow it. I get to the next piece, get to the crust, take a bite, and I tap out. I'm like, I, something is happening inside of me. <laughs> so... So we go back to the hotel, and for the next three to four hours, the only way I can explain this to people is the devil was doing jumping jacks in my stomach. That's the only thing, that's the only way I know how to explain it. And guys, have you ever been at a place where you're afraid to burp? Because I was. (laughs) Um, For two reasons, for two reasons, one, I knew if I burped in the hotel room in New Delhi, I was going to vomit. Like, it was going to be horrible. Melinda's laughing at me the whole time, and I'm like, ah! And I knew, too, if I burped, that the heat, the sheer heat from the devil's breath would burn a hole in my esophagus. <laughs> so, I, I just, I knew that I couldn't do it. So, I expected one thing, and I got something way different, Right? So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So we bring Danya home, and we go to the International Adoption Clinic. And the thing was, with her, the records that we had on Danya, she had a viral load. Now, if you have a, a viral load, 
uh, is basically it's the, uh, the copies of the virus present in your blood, right? So she had a viral load in her records, right? But the last one was from, you know, I mean, it was, it was a good while ago. So the doctor said, hey, let's do a test. Let's just, you know, but we were, we were totally prepared. We we're like, we, we want to go ahead and get her here so we can get her on antiretrovirals. We can start this process. Let's live our life. Let's do it. Melinda had prepared this kind of little um, first aid kit, like care kit that had the latex gloves in it and all that stuff. I mean, we were like, we were ready. We had told our family, we had talked to them about it. We even, through the process, already started to see some of kind of the, um, I don't know, the biases that, that some people have towards that and how they're afraid of it because they don't have the education. We lost friends over that. Um, so we have the first test done and the doctor tells us, um, so it's negative, but that could be because, you know, for whatever reason, her viral load has dropped so low that it's undetectable. So let's go ahead and do another test. <laughs> and Melinda and I were like, uh, that's cool. So they do another test, and it's negative. And we're thinking, um, what's not right? Like, something's not right, right? I mean, why, why is this happening? So she says, the doctor says, hey, let's do a third test. And, this, and this, this third test is on a molecular level. If there is any bit of the virus in her, it is going to pick it up. And it will tell you that it is present, right? So we say, okay, let's, let's do that. And they do the test. And she tells us, it's not there. It's just not there. So I remember, I remember looking at her and saying, okay, this, how can this be? How can this happen? And her answer, our doctor, said, you believe in God, right? And I said, yeah. She said, the last time I checked, he's in the business of miracles. Now, I, I want to be clear about something real quick. Once we were matched with Danya... Been, we began praying for her specifically by name. But when we prayed for her, we never prayed, God, heal this little girl. Take this away from her and heal her. We prayed, God, prepare us to be able to take care of this little girl, right? Help us to manage this. Help us to give this girl just a, a great quality of life. Like Help us to be her mom and dad. See, the thing is, there are a lot of things in this life that we have expectations for. We think they're going to go exactly this way. I know it, you know, whether it's a situation or whatever. And then it doesn't. And in this instance, God surprised us in the most incredible way possible. Thank you. Zach Nichols is a bivocational pastor and also works in marketing. You can check him out on Instagram at Z.E. Nichols. Now, I'm an adoptive father myself and can relate to a number of parts of Zach's story. 
And one thing I can tell you is true about every adoption or foster care story I've ever heard is that none of them are easy and often have parts that are unexpected. That's true in this next story as well. It comes from storyteller Katie Reynolds. Love. Always trusts. Always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails. Those words back in the beginning of this process of learning all about love back in 2010 had as much depth to them as a Hallmark movie is at Christmas time. And I'm sorry for all you Hallmark movie lover people, but they're pretty bad. Um, <laughs> So I remember in 2010, my husband and I were working in campus ministry, and we were at a conference, and I remember the room was huge, and there were over a thousand college students with us, and we were watching a video of, of mission work being done, uh, working with kids and serving them. And I just remember feeling just all the feelings. And I lean over to my husband, Neil, and just whisper, we've got to do something. And it was one of those we were connecting and he was thinking the same thing. And so this love thing I was learning, it actually will move you with such force like you have to take action. And so we did, and adoption. And so I can see right now, looking back, God just sitting at the edge of the universe, just watching me, and him looking at me lovingly and saying, oh, Katie, you, you are about to learn who I am. And so we lived in Arkansas at the time doing ministry, and while ministry does not slow down for anyone or anything, time just really felt like it was at a snail's pace. And we waited probably a good year to get picked by a birth mother. And I remember the day we got the call. And we were getting ready for a trip to Nebraska for Neil to speak at a church. And I was getting things together, and I was about to send our four-year-old daughter off with Nana and Pops while we went on this trip. And I get the call, and she says, hey, Katie, it's Margaret. I've got some awesome news for you. And at the time, my brain wasn't working very well, and I pull, if you know Seinfeld and Elaine, I pulled this on Margaret. I told her to shut up, literally, not the best moment. And I just really screamed in her ear with joy. And she told me that the caseworker would call us tomorrow with all the information that we needed to know. And so I hung up the phone, and I hit my knees on our living floor and just sobbed. Hands in face, ugly cry, sobbed. And not knowing I would find myself in this position in the future again. And so within 72 hours of driving to Nebraska, we agree to meet the birth mother from the side of the road. We get to Nebraska, then we leave Nebraska to drive from Nebraska to Dallas, Texas to meet the birth mother. So we're on go, adrenaline is pumping, and we're nervous, and we get to Dallas and we meet our birth mother at the school that she teaches at. So we sat down, we started talking, getting to know one another, and 
she all of a sudden interrupts my husband and says, I know who you are. We grew up going to the same church camp together, and we have a lot of the same friends. Y'all, another Elaine moment. This time I had tact, and I didn't tell her to shut up. And so I knew then this was it. This, this was it. And I loved her the moment I met her. And so leaving Dallas, we drove back the four hours to get our daughter to go back home to get it all baby ready. And we were excited. And so 8 a.m. the next morning to the second, my phone rings with our caseworker. And she says, yes, she wants you to be the parents. Do you accept? Well, duh, yes, yes. And so she says, I've got to fill you in on some things that you need to know about. Due to some things going on with her, they had to induce her this morning. And, and she's in labor right now. So y'all need to get back down to Dallas. Oh. <laughs> and so we hug our daughter. I hug my in-laws and tears and crying, mostly out of excitement and panic at the same time. We get in the car and we drive back down to Dallas. And y'all, we had nothing. No baby stuff. Bottles, clothes, diapers, car seats, strollers, you name it. We didn't have it. And we had not even raised the placement fee, all of it yet. And we didn't even have clean clothes for us because we packed for a weekend trip to Nebraska, and here we are. And so we, of what all parents do is we find the closest Target on the way to Dallas, and we stop, and we're shopping, and we're getting all the baby stuff. And in the middle of an aisle in the baby section, I get the call from our agency. Oh, we're so excited for you, and let's talk placement fee. Let's say we got to get it. So with like a tail tucked moment, I say, I'm so sorry. We have not raised it all yet. So we load our car with all the baby stuff and we start planning. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this fast? We can sell the car. We can find some bank that will give us a loan. We can beg. You probably are thinking of it. We thought of it too, just as long as it was legal. So I'm at the process, I'm, I'm calling my parents who live in Florida, and I'm just updating them on everything that's going on. And I get the response of, well, hold on just a second, I'll call you back, okay? And I'm like, oh, okay. And so we're getting closer to the birthing clinic, and I get the phone call back from my parents. And all I get is, oh, we love you guys, and we're so proud of you. We're going to write you a check, so don't worry about it. Thank you for our new grandson. And the tears filled the car, along with the diapers that I bought that were going to be too big for him anyways. And so we finally pull up to the birthing clinic. And it's just down the road from Baylor University Hospital in downtown Dallas. And as we walk up to this Victorian house turned clinic. We're walking up these beautiful southern 
porch with a swing and all of the glorious southern charm it had, and we thought, who this is going to be interesting. And so we walked up the porch, and we walked through these big, beautiful wooden doors, and through the doors were greeted with a welcome desk, and on the side of the welcome desk is this beautiful wooden staircase. And all the way up the the staircase on the wall were these adorable, tiny little footprints of babies' feet that were dipped in ink and placed all along the wall with their sweet names and their birthdays. And y'all, that place was so quiet. And we waited, like, anybody actually here? What should we do? So finally it was one of those moments where you yell out, hello, and a quirky little nurse pops out and greets us and informs us, yes, the birth mother is in what looked like like a master bedroom. And so we waited, and we waited in the parlor, then we moved to the front porch and sat on the swing and even greeted the FedEx delivery guy. And at one point, Neil needed to use the restroom, so he went, in sta- we went upstairs. And so while he was in, I decided I'll go in and just wait there. And as I sat down, the midwife is yelling at me, like, it's time, mom, you need to come in here. So I'm herded into this master bedroom and they lead me into the bathroom, of all places. And I turn the corner and I see her squatting at the edge of a soaker tub. And I am not a medical person, but I am looking and I see a little human coming. Like, this is not normal. This is not normal. Somebody get her to the bed. So they get her to the bed, and by the time midwife's yelling for Neil, where is he? Come on. So they heard him in. And at that point, I think I blanked out. Now I know what men feel like in labor delivery rooms, because I felt it. Because I remember there was a baby now, and a nurse handing me scissors saying, cut in between here and here. And me literally telling myself, don't throw up, Katie. Just don't throw up. Oh, and he was born. Palmer Landon Reynolds. Oh, and he was beautiful. Just head full of dark hair and just, oh, love. Sprinkled with a little chaos and panic because I didn't know what to do next. And so we... We're new moms and dads, and we had a son, and now we're sitting in downtown Dallas traffic with a six-hour-old baby in our car and trying to get to the hotel for the union of our daughter and her brother. And that union was the sweetest thing, and it made all of everything worth it. And so we stayed in Texas for about two weeks, And I can guarantee you it was about as fun as a slumber party at the DMV would be like. (laughs) It was not fun. But finally, we got to go home. And love always trusts. And we knew with this adoption there were some really scary situations. There were some risks with the birth father. 
But again, love always trusts. So we got home and new normal started kicking in and everything felt really great and felt like time was on our side and we had 10 days left before everything was finalized and we were just really excited. And I remember the day I got the call and it was a Wednesday and I had our daughter Eden down for a nap and I had Palmer nicely tucked in the crease of my legs with my feet propped up on the, on the coffee table. I was kind of bouncing from him to the TV. And Neil calls, and he's, I'm so sorry, Katie, I'm so sorry. He's like, I just got a call from the agency, and Palmer's biological father just went to the courthouse and signed the parental registry. Ah, it took everything in me not to scream. And so this time, I found myself sitting on the couch, just sobbing with my hands cradling my face, but this time it was going to be over this sun I was going to have to give away. And so we fought. Oh, so many people fought for us. Countless lawyers, our agency, even the birth mother fought for us. but it just didn't work. And so I remember the agency saying, you know, we'll be at the house at 9.45. And I did not sleep that night. I had him next to me in his little rocking cradle deal, and I pretty much just stared at him most of the night. And so morning came, and I felt... It was weird. I had a lot of feelings, a lot of feelings, a lot of anger, a lot of sorrow, a lot of confusion. And our house was full of friends and family there to be with us. And so the director of our agency actually came to help us out, and he escorted us outside the house. And Neil tried to pray over Palmer and just couldn't get it out. He just couldn't. And so he got him strapped into the car, and the sound of the car door shutting just made my knees weak. But the sound of the gravel as the car pulled out of our driveway made them get out. And I hit the ground, and I just started screaming so loud over and over again, please don't take my baby. Please don't take my baby. And so I remember my dad's large hands just coming and scooping me off the ground, and he and Neil carried me back to the house. Now is the day everything failed everything. The picture of what my family was supposed to look like, my motherhood. I couldn't even protect my own kids. My body failed, and now our adoption failed. But y'all, I can, I can still see God that moment on the edge of the universe 
still looking at me and saying, I love you so much. And you have to know, I never fail. And so I have trust in God's goodness that he is going to make beautiful things out of the ashes of this heartache. And he has in his really special ways because to this day, Palmer still carries our name. He is still Palmer Landon Reynolds. Pictures I get of him today remind me. The gifts we get to send him on his birthday and at Christmas. It just all reminds me that love always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Thank you. Katie Reynolds is a wife and homeschool mom to two girls. You can learn more about her on Instagram at katereynolds14. If you want to hear more great stories, obviously subscribe to this very podcast. We would also love it if you would share it with a friend, help us get the word out. But we also want you to come to one of our live events. Our next one will be this weekend on Saturday, May 4th at the Avon Theater in Birmingham, Alabama. Our theme will be, you're never going to believe what happened. Outrageous stories. You can get your tickets and the info about all of our upcoming events at our website, arcstories.com. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Arc Stories podcast. I'm Chris Kinsley. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chris Kinsley. Arc Stories is at all those places too, at Arc Stories. This podcast is produced by me and Arc Stories director, Taylor Robinson. Preston Lovey Good composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for his audio expertise, as well as to Audrey Whaley, Betsy Lee, Aaron Moon, Leonard Lee Smith, Ryan Whaley, and Katie Ballou for making this episode possible. If you like our show, please rate us and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to us. We've made it really easy for you to leave your own. Just go to arcstories.com slash Apple. And while you're there, be sure to look around the rest of arcstories.com. There you can listen to other stories. You can stay up to date with all of our events and everything else we have going on. And you can even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story? What's your story?